think I'm a fool? I didn't think so. I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like this before. I think you just said something. Think, 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 think. We're here, and no, that was not a misprint if you actually are one of those people that looks at the title. If you're not one of those people that looks at the title, what's it like to be the psychopath in your family? Just curious, but in all seriousness... That's not a misprint. We are going to take a big chunk, and it's going to be good for you because I'm here to tell you that you should always be careful what you wish for. This is one of the things that the Bible warns you about. This is one of the things that human nature does not understand, typically day in, day out, minute in, minute out. So, without further ado, let's knock out 22 chapters of Exodus and finish the book. What do you say? The reason I say that this is a good idea to do it like this is because we can't get bogged down. I don't want to get so bogged down that we lose the forest for the trees. If you want a slower treatment of what the book of Exodus looks like, download the sermons. We're literally going through it right now. And if we're trying to get through a book in big chunks that I haven't preached through, then find somebody good who has. Here's the beauty that Ecclesiastes was right. There is nothing new under the sun. You can find a good, faithful expositor somewhere that has covered this stuff in more detail. So, when last we left our intrepid, delivered people, God was taking their judgment upon himself. He was redeeming them in a more specific sense. Now the question becomes, and this is why the warning is what it is, be careful what you wish for, because as the great musical prophets once said, you just might get it. The reason you have to be careful for that is what is going on here? What is going on here in Exodus that will be expanded upon in Leviticus and then reiterated in Deuteronomy? The loss of humanity in the garden was not just our innocence. Don't you love that? We lost our innocence as if it was about us. No, the bigger thing that we lost was actually communion with God, the ability to stand before the holy God of creation in fellowship. Sin destroys that possibility because a holy God cannot be in the presence of our unrighteousness. Therefore, Adam and Eve are driven out of the garden, and that communion is lost. Now, this people is a redeemed people, and yes, the pre-incarnate Christ is going before them, and the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire are going before them. Yes, all of those things are true. But is God having that intimate communion restored with his people? And the answer is, up until this point, no, it is not. That is what the law, the tabernacle, all of these things are meant to do. Now, the problem with that, though, humanity, sinful, wicked, evil humanity is now dwelling in communion with God. What could possibly go wrong? In the kickoff to this, we actually see what does godly wisdom in action look like. Exodus 18, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, shows up. He celebrates. He returns Zipporah and Gershom, and I just lost the name of the other kid, Eliezer. They are brought back to Moses because at some point in the narrative, they are sent away. I don't even know if we're really told where, but I don't think we are. So they are sent away, and they worship. There's a blessing. This is when you find out that Jethro, Ruel from earlier, is a priest of God Most High. One of the reasons why we were able to celebrate Moses' redemption in the wilderness. Moses is being, was, well, Moses was being molded for 40 years by a worshiper and follower of Yahweh, undoing the molding of 40 years in the pagan Egyptian culture. 
So in the midst of that, though, Moses' father-in-law said to him, the thing you're doing is not good, because what is Moses doing? He's settling every dispute. Because let's be honest, if you're an Israelite, who do you want settling your arguments? Exactly. I want to go to Moses. I want to go to the guy who talks to God and who has God talk to him. You will surely wear out both yourself and these people who are with you, for the task is too heavy for you, and you cannot do it alone. Listen to me, and I will give you counsel, and God will be with you. You be the people's representative before God, and you bring the disputes to God, and then teach them the statutes and the laws and make known to them the way in which they are to walk and the work excuse me, <clears throat> excuse me, and the work they are to do. Furthermore, select out of all the people men who fear God, men of truth. Just lost my place. I hate when my line skip. Men of fear God, men of truth, who hate dishonest gain, and you shall place these over them as leaders of thousands and of fifties and of tens. This would be called discipleship, Christian. This would be a preparing the next generation and the present generation for a continued living in godliness. If Moses is the only one who knows anything and the only one who can determine anything, what happens when we don't have a Moses anymore? Yeah, you just figured out we were Moses' people, not God's people. That is not how this is going to run. You have to excuse me, I'm pausing real quick. Is that a hangnail suddenly? There we go. Should be good to go now. Don't ask me where these things, why these things happen. They just do, and they always seem to happen to me. So no, this is discipleship in action. This is wisdom. How does this wisdom come about? Well, it comes about from God, who is sanctifying his people. It comes about through the wisdom and work of God, who ordains discipleship because he is the one who will accomplish his purposes. You see that it is God who should be the Savior, arbiter, and judge, not Moses, which means Moses' primary job is to tr explain the law, explain the rules, and then disciple others to be able to teach as well. Moses should be doing what every good pastor is doing, what I'm attempting to do here. I'm attempting to get myself out of a job here, and because I know once I do that, you'll keep me around. But preparing you to do the work that I'm doing. Granted, I have more time to do it than you, but that just means I can do it on a larger scale and I can do it to a better volume. You should still be able to evaluate the things of this world according to the standard that God provides in a way that is honoring and pleasing to him that rejects the ways of the world. Again, discipleship, formulate a worldview that enables you. Sorry, I keep hitting my microphone. Formulate a worldview that enables you to think through the things of this world, think through them in a way that honors God and rejects Satan rejects sin, rejects the offspring of the serpent from the garden. Now, let's speed up. Chapter 19. Moses preparing to go up the mountain as God comes about onto the mountain. Always notice that as you get to the Ten Commandments of chapter 20, Moses has not gone up the mountain. God is speaking to everyone, and that's what he does. He comes down, and God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Stop. That matters. He is Yahweh. He has authority. Why? Well, because he's Yahweh, but also because of what he has done in redeeming this people. This is what we always talk about. Understanding who God is, creator, preserver, faithful, precise, long-suffering, 
and what he has done. He is Savior. He is Judge. He is the accomplisher of his purposes, and he is the sanctifier of my soul. He provides the means and the empowerment by which I walk in righteousness. Yes, I'm still called to walk, but he provides the means. He provides the motivation. He provides the encouragement. He provides the powering. He provides all of these things because I am in Christ his child. That is who he is, and that is what he has done and what he is doing. Stop right there, Christian, and always view the world through that lens. If you want to understand, again, I just rattled off all seven of our foundations that we walked through in Genesis. Everything else is going to flow through those things. Every other scaffold we build. How do I judge these cases? Well, I bring that wisdom to bear, but I can't do all of this, but nobody else seems to have this wisdom. Ha 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 ha. Now what do I do with that is God honoring? I impart that wisdom to someone else. I pour myself, my discipleship, my sanctification, my righteousness given through Christ. What Paul says, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. Follow after me as I follow after Christ. Find that person, pour into them. If you're a parent, it's real easy because you got those people literally built in. They're little clones of you. Well, they're not clones, but you know what I mean. They're little yous running around, and that is your first discipleship ministry. You start there. Now you're going, but I don't have any children, or they're grown and out of the house. That's fine. You go to stores. You go to gyms. You go You go somewhere. You have friends. You have neighbors. Start having these people around and start talking about the things of the world. Start making sense of the world from a Christian perspective. And yes, it's not like there's nothing going on in the world. Surely, no matter what continent you live on, what country you live on, there's an election, there's a COVID, there's, there's something, there's a cricket game, there's a football match, there's, there's a baseball game, there's something going on that you can try to decipher and determine from a Christian perspective. And make it known when you're giving your opinion and you're giving your understanding that you're doing it for this reason. This is how we interact in and bring to bear our thoughts on the world. <clears throat> Again, foundational being what? Who God is and what he has done and is doing. So you get the commandments, you get the people hearing, and again, the commandments are just ex- expressions of what? Who God is. That's your first, your first uh, table of the law. Have no other gods. Don't make an idol. Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Honor the Sabbath. Sabbath becomes our hinge. So it has vertical and horizontal components, primarily vertical though. So, don't make your, have no other gods. Why? Because no other God can do the things that God can do and because no other God is who Yahweh is. Don't make an idol because you can't summarize this creator and preserver by something that is the work of your hands. You just can't do it. Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain because you honor who he is. Remember the Sabbath because you worship who he is in the creation that he has made. Now you really get to your horizontal. Honor your father and mother. Why? Because they're supposed to be teaching you these things and you honor God by honoring the rightful authority he has presented. Don't murder. Why? Because the God who created is the God who sustains, is the God who judges, not you. Don't steal. I'm sorry, do not commit adultery because God has, again, honor father and mother, reproduce in the land, make disciples. All of these things connect. Adultery undermines and destroys the work that God is doing, so don't do that. Um, Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't covet because, again, stealing. Who Who is the giver? 
the sustainer and preserver and creator. It's God. When you steal, you are showing a dissatisfaction, a discontentment, a malcontent with the things that God has given you. You are saying what he has provided is not good, when in fact it is. Do not bear false witness. Why? Because God is truth. And his enemy is a lie. His enemy is the father of lies, John 8. Therefore, when you walk away from the truth, you are walking away from the God who is and was and is to come. And don't covet. In other words, guard your heart. I murder, James tells me, because I hate. I lust and I don't have, so I commit adultery and I, and I steal and I kill and I do all of these things. Because what? The heart condition started first. That becomes the question and the issue. Guard thy heart. So the people see it. The people know what's going on. They desire a mediator. This is important. This is going to become another little, another little scaffold piece in our foundations as we're, as we're building up. The people realize that they are sinful. God is not, and they are now confronted with him. And you know what they don't want to do? They don't want to go talk to him. They don't want to go up the mountain and be in the midst of the thunder. They want someone else to stand before God on their behalf because they know that they can't. Hmm, what's going on here? You're going, how does this relate to our foundations? This is Savior work. This is standing in the gap and mediating for a sinful people to a holy God. Moses will do it for Israel, but Moses can't do it completely. Moses can only do it partially because God allows. <coughs> Excuse me. At some point, there must come a true mediator that can stand on his own accord before God, righteous, blameless, and proclaim to him a full salvation for the people that God wishes to redeem. See, Moses is pointing to something else. He's pointing to Christ. This is maybe we should make this a foundation. We'll have to talk about this. You can send your uh, you send an email and ask and tell me what you think. Maybe foundation number eight needs to be forward looking. Christian, we are always forward-looking. If you're Israel, you are forward-looking to the mediator, the deliverer, the prophet. If you're a Christian today, on the other side of the fulfillment of the deliverer, who was the prophet, well, you're still now waiting for the king to come upon this creation. You're waiting for the consummation of all of these things. So you are living faithfully and trusting. Why? Because God is faithful and long-suffering. Therefore, his people, seeking to be like him, walk in the same way, meaning our eyes are up and we are eternally focused. Now, here's where we go rapid fire. 21, 22, 23, laws. Laws, 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 laws. Now you're going, why? Well, what do they deal with? They deal with property. They deal with how we deal with the Sabbath, how we're going to take the land, what the feast should be. You know, what happens if somebody steals an ox? Weren't we just told not to steal an ox? Yes, we were. But people are sinful, and guess who's not surprised by that? Exactly. God is not surprised. So he deals with it, and he provides for his people a way that they can deal with it so that as these sins come upon them and as they fall short, they are ensuring that they as a people stand before God the way he has called them. So they affirm their covenant in 24, and thus begins the sanctuary, the tabernacle in chapter 25. We need an ark. Why? Because we need a place to keep the remembrances of this covenant with God. We also need a place to meet with God. And since we can't make an idol, we can't represent him, we can make a place that will solidify where we go. Now, does God need that? No, he doesn't. But we do. 
Believe me, we do. If you don't believe me, are you more apt to pray if I put you on your couch or in a church? Yeah, that's what I thought. Are, are you more apt to worship in song if I put you in the car or in front of other people? See what happens? Where we are matters. So God designates a place that the people may meet, a place where they will offer sacrifice. This is also good because this will prevent them from doing it themselves. Because again, when left to our own devices, what are we going to do? We're going to go back and engage in idolatry. We're going to fall short. God does not want that. As the sanctifier of his people, he desires that they walk in holiness, even in how they worship. None of this is left to chance. So you're going to build a sanctuary. You're going to build an ark. You're going to build a table. You're going to build lampstands. This is how, excuse me, this is how you're going to lay out curtains. This is how you're going to set up the boards. I mean, the veil that will separate because you don't get to go in there whenever you want. There's rules, there's regulations, and they'll be expanded upon in Leviticus, and they'll be expanded upon in the history of Israel. These things all matter. What the altar will be. The courtyard for the tabernacle. What do the priests wear? Do they just get to throw on some jeans and a hoodie? No, no they don't. Hoodies haven't been invented yet and denim's not coming around for another 3,000 years. So no, they don't get to put on jeans and hoodie. They have specific articles of clothing meant to separate them from the people, meant to mark them as other than, and meant to mark them as servants of God. Why? Because they're going to make the sacrifice on behalf of the people. The one who makes a sacrifice needs to be separated. He needs to be seen as other. Why? Because the ultimate sacrifice, the sacrifice, is other. He is God in flesh. Therefore, he is not like us. And these pictures are being shown even in the priestly worship. So, they are told how to dress. They are consecrated. And what do they do now? Well, you got a job. You offer sacrifice. Servants of God do what? Serve God. God. So you get to chapter 29. I told you we are going to go rapid fire here. They're bringing, they bring the bull before the tent of meeting. Aaron and his sons lay hands on the head of the bull and slaughter the bull before the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Take some of the blood of the bull, pull down the horns of the altar with your finger, and you shall pour out all the blood at the base of the altar. You shall take all the fat that covers the entrails and the lobe and the liver and the two kidneys. Gotta love the specificity here. <coughs> Excuse me. And the fat that is on them and offer them up and smoke in the altar. Specific. The reason I mentioned the specificity there there is nothing, nothing, nothing left to chance here in the worship of God. It is all set up and set aside for God. The worship and proclamation done rightly according to who he is and what he has done. So, chapter 30, you've got the altar set up, the anointing oil. How are we going to get all this stuff built? Chapter 31, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, you remember that God who is long-suffering and precise? The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. i got to love that because Hur is the guy going up the mountain with Moses told his hands up when they had battle. I have filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and in knowledge and in all kinds of craftsmanship to make artistic designs for gold, for work in gold and silver and in bronze and in the cutting of stones for settings and in the carving of wood that he may work all kinds of craftsmanship. <coughs> And behold, I myself have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan. And in the hearts of all who are skillful, I have put skill, that they may make all that I have commanded you. Because he is the accomplisher. He is precise. He is faithful. And he will do all of these things. Now, in the midst of all of this, the call on the faithful followers to do what? 
follow faithfully. Or if you want to continue the order, faithfully follow. If you're a faithful follower, you are to faithfully follow. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, chapter 32, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said, Tear off the gold rings which are in your ears and with your and of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. And all the people tore off the gold rings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he took for he took this from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it a molten calf. Remember that detail that he fashioned it with a graving tool. What's going on here? They have forgotten who God is and what he has done. Therefore, they are going to engage in idolatry, false worship. They are going to dishonor their Savior because they don't remember their Savior. They're going to do what seems best to them. They are going to move off the firm foundation of the testimony of God. And they're going to wade into the muck and the mire that is our idea. Proverbs tells you twice, there is a way which seems right to a man, and in the end, that way leads to death. You do not possess the words of life. You do not possess the means by which you may be saved. You do not possess the means by which you may persevere in this world. God does. And he graciously provides those to his children who have repented of their sins and trusted in Christ as Savior. He is creator. He is preserver. He is Savior and judge. He is faithful. He is precise and long-suffering. He is the accomplisher, and he is the one who will sanctify the people whom he has called. <coughs> so, he does this, and Aaron fashions the calf. This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. What could go wrong here? And then he declares a feast. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, go down at once for your people. Don't you love that? Suddenly, God becomes like you with your spouse. You know what your child did today? There you go. Your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf, and they have worshipped it and have sacrificed to it. And this, and said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, they are an obstinate people. Now, God's, God's contemplating destroying them, which means he's, he's testing Moses really here. The reason why they're Moses' people is God's people don't walk like this. God's people don't do this. Humans do this. A faithless people do this. God is disowning them because, wait for it, they have disowned God. So Moses entreated the Lord and said, O Lord, why does your anger burn against your people whom you have brought out from the land of Egypt? See, Moses knows his foundations. He knows that God is Savior and Judge. What is he appealing to? He is appealing away from judgment and to the Savior. Your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians speak, saying, With evil intent he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to destroy them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and change your mind about doing harm to your people. Moses passed the test. What's he more worried about? That this people persevere? No. They don't deserve it. Moses is worried about what? God's name. God's reputation. If God rightly judges these people, the nations will look upon Yahweh and say, Unrighteous unloving, couldn't do it. They will forsake what God has done and therefore denigrate who he is, bringing what? Bringing about more condemnation upon themselves and the just judgment upon the end. Instead, Moses is entreating them, what? No, honor your name. The people don't deserve it. He's not even arguing that the people deserve it. He's arguing that God has done this. Because of what God has done, being the nature of who he is, the people will not be destroyed because of God. So, 
Moses comes down, he comes to the camp and he sees the people, he throws the tablets and Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought such great sin upon them? I love this. Aaron said, don't let your anger, don't let the anger of the Lord burn. You know the people yourself, that they're prone to evil. They said to me, make a God for us who will go before us for Moses. I mean, the man who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. So I said, well, whoever has any gold, let him tear it off. So they gave it to me and I threw it to the fire and out came the calf. Remember Aaron fashioned it with a tool? And I just tossed it in the fire. And what do you know? This calf just comes marching out. What are the odds? Strange, huh? Liar! You need that wife from the Billy Crystal scene in Princess Riding and Liar! Ah. When Moses saw that the people were out of control, for Aaron had let them get out of control to be a derision among their enemies, Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered to him. You ever wonder why the Levites, who are passed over for kingship by uh, Jacob in Genesis 49, if you ever wonder why they get to be the priests, this is why because they're concerned with God when it came down to it. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Every man of you put his sword upon his thigh and go back and forth from gate to gate in this camp and kill every man his brother and every man his friend and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did as Moses instructed, and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. And Moses said, Dedicate yourselves today to the Lord, for every man has been against his son and against his brother, in order that he may bestow a blessing upon you today. <clears throat> Why? Well, because what are your options? Wrath of man, wrath of God. Now, David, rightly later on, will turn to the wrath of God as opposed to the wrath of men because David has experienced both. What Moses is showing you here is what's better for this nation, to deal with God's wrath or to deal with the judgment as handed down through the Levites? And the answer is the Levites, as far as the nation's concerned, because the Levites won't wipe them out. They're going to be thorough, but they're not going to be as thorough as God is because God is very precise. And you don't want to run the risk of his long-suffering running out. So they're dedicated. They resume the journey. Once again, Moses must stand in the gap for the people. The tablets are replaced. The covenant is renewed. Moses sees the glory of the Lord. And you see, again, you get to see the work now being done. They get the gifts. They build the tabernacle. They're proceeding with everything rightly. Again, why? Four chapters ago, this people was worshiping the calf, doing all of these things. And the answer is because God is long-suffering. So the tabernacle is assembled, and the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And throughout all their journey, where whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, the sons of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out until the day when it was taken up. For throughout all their journeys, the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and there was fire in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel." And we finished Exodus. I told you we'd get there. Now, what's going on here? The patience and long-suffering of God on display. The precision and sanctification of his people. There shouldn't have been craftsmen in that sinful lot, but there were. They don't deserve mercy from God, but they received it. They don't deserve to have someone stand in the gap between them and the wrath, but it accomplished. It's accomplished. Why? Because God has ordained God has promised, and God will fulfill and deliver all that he has promised to do. That's what's going on here. That's how you understand these things from a biblical lens, starting with God. Christian, this is what we must do on a regular basis. This is how we are to live. When we start with us, we're going to mess something up. 
when we start with us, we're going to end up in the wrong place because we started in the wrong place. You, you can't follow a map to the right destination if you have the wrong starting point. The directions won't make any sense, and they won't accomplish what they're meant to. But start with God, who he is and what he has done, and we can see and understand all that he is doing. So what have we learned here today? Godly wisdom comes through his people. God will provide the means for his work, and God has forgotten none of what he is doing. Remember that. Questions, comments, complaints, send them to info at practicaltheologyministries.com. You guys know the drill by now. You can check out the website, find our links. I keep saying one of these days we're going to get better at social media, and there's just not time in life. I mean, I'm kind of working today. I had to do hospital visit this morning. I got to go see somebody about a wedding this afternoon. So life is fun. It gets in the way. But it keeps me from being active on social media, which is probably a very good thing. And we already know Lou actually has a life, and we know Cameron's a hermit. So you're kind of on your own on social media. So if you see something you want us to share, send it to us. We'll be glad to look at it and try to go from there. And until then, read your Bible. It'll do you good. Bye.